Should we save or should we invest? What do you think? Well, definitely you should invest. And the reason I say we shouldn't teach our children to save isn't so much the saving. Is what's happening is when we think about money, the only thing we typically teach and learn is how to have more. So the same is with saving. The whole reason most of us are teaching saving is so we have more, and that's the first step to more. And there's nothing wrong with wanting more or saving. But if it's the only lesson we ever teach our kids, then what we're teaching them is more is better. And once you achieve more, then you hit that level, and then the next step is to achieve more past that. And so you're always looking for more and never sort of satisfied or have enough. Welcome, everybody, back to another exciting show, the About That Water podcast. I have a great author who is a bestseller author, entrepreneur, and real estate investor with a background as a financial advisor and a marketing director. But most importantly, he is a dad. He has been investing since he was 11 years old and passionate about passing on the lessons he learned, uh, which he does through his graphic novel. The Golden Quest. But the guest is David Dalal. How are you doing today, David? It's so good. So happy to be here, Anthony. Awesome. I know it's been, uh, you have so many accolades. You've been doing so many things um, in this space of finances for over the years. So what really got you into doing this graphic novel? Um, really is my boy. So as, a, as you mentioned in the intro there, like I started investing when I was 11. But my parents didn't teach me. That was just something I was interested in. And nobody likes hearing about finance investing. They or very few people. I mean, we just attended FinCon, so it was full of money nerds. But that's that's a rarity. So my boys are the same. And I just realized there's some lessons I want to pass down on them and some of the things that I've found over the years that's, that would make their lives easier. It didn't have to be complicated, just things I want them to know. So it just started out as just some ideas I want to pass down. And then as it evolved, and I, uh, this idea of putting it into a graphic novel that would be fun and easy for not just them, but you know, adults and kids to digest, it, it just started becoming a bigger thing. And, and then since that process, because there's a few messages in there that are a little bit more unique in this uh, finance realm and world, and also they're simple, then I started seeing this stuff really land. And that's where I, I became more and more passionate about really teaching kids and, and parents about these lessons. So who was that first guest that like? Like are you, for me, way back when, yeah. like, like I started when I was 11 investing. So, oh. so, so I mean. I'm talking about as an adult, as an adult. Cause you know, as an adult, like getting, okay. So if we want to expand further, I don't know if you've ever um, heard of the book, The Last Lecture. Mm. This is a thing, it, it became big because he was on the Oprah show, but he wrote this book. He was actually, is uh, a professor and he had, uh, like a, I believe it was a terminal cancer. And he was about to do this big lecture, like this big thing in front of all his peers. And it was something he'd worked towards his whole life. But then during that period, he, he found out that he was terminal. He had a young child coming. So this whole lecture, he, he changed to be almost like a lecture to his son about what I want to pass on and, and just these 
these little pieces of wisdom because he knew he wouldn't be there. Like it's super tear jerking, but at the same time powerful and, and had a, a real silver lining. And that stuck with me, um, having read it and read the book and, and seen some of his stuff. So then as my boys got older and older and older, in the back of my mind, I was just thinking, you know, what, what lessons would I want to pass on to these guys? What, what is the thing if I can't be around to pass, pass this on? And, and that's how it sort of evolved into, okay, I got to get these things down on paper. And then that just started that whole journey. That makes sense because that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast was because I'm not having any children. So I figured, you know what, let me share the lessons that I wish I had known. Um, let me get the people on that are the experts or have the expertise in those different er arenas uh, around finances. And um, let's bring this small community together to broaden the knowledge of the next generation. And I actually applaud you for doing what you're doing to kind of, um, even though it's selfish, but having that story actually is able to hit so many other kids um, and with your graphic novel. So can you talk a little bit more what came up with the title, The Golden Quest? Yeah, um, really The Golden Quest, I wanted to make an adventure because I wanted to be something fun. So, so that, that idea of the golden quest just being like this big quest and it's golden. And then um, with it, the, the subtitle is your journey to a rich life. Mm -hmm. And I purposely use rich life because it could be vague in the sense of like abundance financially, but rich, just in rich in, in the way you live and, and how you're, you're doing your thing. So, so it became really important to have this, this journey. And I think as well, when we think of finance, a lot of times we're thinking of retirement or we're thinking of a nest egg, or we're thinking of like an end goal. And really that shouldn't be how we live our life or how we think of finance. It should be something we think of as an arc, as a journey, we're always on it and there is no end goal. And that's a much simpler and more present way to just live your life. And, and that's what I'd like to sort of get across. So that's, that's why the golden quest, your journey to a rich life is, is what it is. I'm looking at one of the blogs here. You talk about why we, well, the title is why we shouldn't teach our kids to save. In here, do you think just reading the title, it gets me to think, should we save or should we invest? And what do you think? Well, definitely you should invest. And the reason I say we shouldn't teach our children to save isn't so much the saving, is what's happening is when we think about money, the only thing we typically teach and learn is how to have more. So the same is with saving. The whole reason most of us are teaching saving is so we have more. And that's the first step to more. And there's nothing wrong with wanting more or saving. But if it's the only lesson we ever teach our kids, mm -hmm. then what we're teaching them is more is better. And once you achieve more, then you hit that level and then the next step is to achieve more past that. And so you're always looking for more and never sort of satisfied or have enough. And so for me, I'd like to flip that script a bit where those are good lessons to learn, but the focus shouldn't be on that first. The first lesson should be, why do you want more in the first place? What's your why? What's your awesome stuff? And then I get into this whole concept of like, what really lights you up? What's your awesome stuff? What are you chasing? What's that journey? And then 
we start looking at saving and investing the rest and it's from a different standpoint a different perspective and you're no longer stuck in that sort of that rat race and that consumerism of never having enough so that's that's really the reason for that message nice um because you know i think when i was growing up that was one of the things it wasn't so much saving it was just more so just to get more but then once you get more then what do you do with it was never it was never that progression okay now that i got more what what, what do i do and that's yeah. where um, a lot of people are at um, because I came across people say like, hey, I have $60,000 saved up. What do I do with it? And then they just kind of go back to like, we need to sit down. This isn't like one of those five minute spills. I can just tell you, I could tell you anything at this point, but you might as well just give me the money and and do it that way. But no, we want to make sure that, you know, we cater it to your needs. Um, and as an adult, I mean, all of us, it seems like I'm on this golden quest right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're all on the golden quest. That's the whole point. It's a journey that there is no end. We're all on this same journey. So what is your awesome stuff, though? Um, I mean, my awesome stuff, a lot of times it is experiences over things. Mm. So <clears throat> connection comes up high. So anything around connection, those experiences with people. So traveling, meeting new people, spending time with our kids, Recently, um, because of COVID, we were traveling less. So I found uh, beach camping, which is phenomenal. So that became my awesome stuff. And yeah, I mean, like, what, what is that? So I live on the west coast of Canada. So we're right on the Pacific Northwest and just on this island full of like beautiful trails and camping and, and things all over. But I never really experienced a lot of this because I was always traveling during the summers. And so beach camping essentially is what you hear. So we'll get a tent. We'll usually hike out to a place. Sometimes it's close and it's a, you know, a 15 minute walk, but usually might, might be an hour or a few hours. You hike in with a little tent, you throw your tent up right on the sand, right. hear the waves all night long and have a big bonfire and just sit there on the beach. And especially during COVID there's, there's no people around or very few you're outdoors and just, just that peace and being there, no electronics, the ocean, the waves, no people, you can't access anything. It's it's phenomenal. All right. I'm looking at some of these photos. Like I just had to Google it. I was like, I never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when it comes to um, kids and adults, because this is one of the things that um, is one of the, as you could say, it's almost like the fork in the road. Who do you teach first? Do you teach the kids or do you teach the adults? For sure, 100% the kids. And it's not just with finance, it's with everything. And what you'll find is as we get older, we start getting a lot of these like shoulds and outside influences and what what our parents told us that we should do or our friends. And we see our peers doing certain things. So we start shifting our perspective of the world. But as kids, especially prior to that age of eight, they're still innocent themselves and very open to all these concepts and ideas. There isn't the same resistance. So by teaching the kids, we can really get these messages in before there's all that resistance. Because what you'll find, I'm sure you found, even on this show, you start talking about finance with adults and you get all sorts of things coming up, you know, rich or bad, or I could never have enough, 
or it's difficult or it can't be that easy. I mean, you have emotions on every end of the spectrum, but a lot of heavy emotions and feelings. Whereas the kids, if you just tell them, hey, if you invest, your money will grow. And when you get older, you'll have more. They're like, okay. I get it. That's fine. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> easy. And so the kids are 100%. And, and I'm finding that not just with the money conversation, but with so many conversations, mindfulness, um, even you know, thinking about all the stuff around how they play with, you know, boys and girls play, like all that stuff. It doesn't have any of the emotion around it when you're under eight. Once you get older, that's when it all creeps in. So, so definitely the kids. And then in a perfect world, I wrote my book for adults. The kids then take these messages and they teach their parents. That's, that's the sequence of events I'm seeing. Nice. And um, so I'm looking at the book um, just to kind of purchase and everything like that, because there's a lot of birthdays coming up and a lot of um, holidays are coming up. And I usually like to gift books. Um, so just looking at the book itself, it has great graphics. Um, I love the storyline and it's more like a comic book feel. Um, and the it's just a, the overall design is easy to flow through. Um, so were you the artist behind this or was who was the illustrator? The illustrator is Travis Hansen, and he's just out of San Diego and just this amazing artist. Uh, he's He does a lot of uh, like even D&D &D, uh, illustrations for their monster manuals. He's got his own graphic novel. And so those that that definitely isn't my work, but he's he does a, an amazing job. And I I specifically sought him out and and wanted to work with him on this project. So I don't have these questions together, but because I'm curious on what was it like writing this, this book um, by yourself? Was it, um, did you have a team of people? Were you in like the closet? Like, how were you like, just need to get away? Like almost like how Obama said he went away to like a whole nother country just to go write a book. It was so hard. So first off, I knew this would be a long, hard process and it'd be easy for me to not do it because I never went in planning on writing a book and the whole publishing world, the more you learn about it, it's, it's vast and it's complicated and there's a lot to it. So right at the beginning, I started just telling people I'm writing a book to, to, to build in that personal accountability. Cause if I didn't, I probably would have found a way to duck out of this somehow or just, or listen to all those outside influences that said, you know, this is really tricky. This is difficult. You're never going to write a book. Really? You want to write a book? I want to build in that accountability. So that was step one, make sure like whatever you can do. So you can't back out of this thing because it's easy to back out. And then I started talking to people. Now I thought, just like you said, with the networking, I'd start talking to people and they'd be like, Hey, Anthony, how do I write a book? And you're like, David, here's the five steps do this. And it's no problem. But what I found is what's crazy. And this is why I was talking about the publishing world. Everyone does it differently. Some have editors, some don't, some have publishers, some don't, some are on Amazon, some aren't, some are in bookstores. Like it just, it's incredible. The variation and everybody. So every, every author I've met has been on a different journey. The economics are different. The help is different. But I just tried to start learning as much as I could and talking to people and some things for sure, like find an editor, find an editor early because they'll, they'll help you okay. for sure. And especially if you have thick skin, take it. And then um, <clears throat> the, the cover and the title, I mean, people shouldn't judge a book by their cover. 
but they do. So a lot of authors, they'll focus on the content and feel like it'll sell itself. And unfortunately, we live in a world where the writing piece, if you're lucky, is half of it, if not a third or less. The marketing and pushing it and talking to people, I mean, that's that's what makes or breaks a book, unfortunately. So, so focus on those pieces. So why a graphic novel um, instead of just doing a um just like a youtube you know video feed or something different to kind of grab the kids attention so i would volunteer at my kids library mm. and i would watch these kids all they want me to do all they want to do is read graphic novels and the librarians constantly saying like only one graphic novel grab like a chapter book or grab something else. And the kids were grown. Like all they wanted was read these graphic novels and they have graphic novels now on all sorts of subjects. And when I saw that, I realized quickly that here's a subject nobody likes learning about, but a medium everyone loves. If I can mesh those two and even get kids, like I've got kids right now that can't even read and they'll just flip through the pages. Right. And that just fills my heart because I, they're getting something. And the fact that they're just, engage enough to want to just hold the book and flip the pages i mean that's a win and if i sat down any like three or four year old said hey i'm going to teach you about money and finance there's nobody who would get excited about that i mean they wouldn't <laughs> they would cozy up on the carpet and like tell me a story david about finance right. no but if i can on this adventure and and it's a it's a hero's quest so the same as you know luke skywalker in star wars this journey he grows throughout the journey and they can they can be part of that journey with him, which I find, I just love that. So what is the, I mean, everybody that I come across, they always say like, they want to write a book. Um, but what are the hard things about, what in your journey, what was the hardest, uh, as you say, obstacle? Um, <clears throat> trying to think there, I mean, there's so many obstacles, finding the pieces. Really, I went self-published route, which is common, but right now, most people who self-publish they'll do a print on demand. So they don't need a printer. They don't need a distribution channel. They don't need all of those pieces. They'll, they'll go through something like Amazon and do print on demand. Yeah. But in my case, because the format of the book and what it is, I really needed to have it printed and it couldn't be print on demand. So I had to ha find, find those printers. And then as difficult as this is, it is to find a printer. I was surprised by how much more difficult it is to find a distributor because it doesn't exist anymore those are th like the big publishing companies they have their distribution channel but as a self-published publisher finding someone who will warehouse your book and distribute it that was a lot more complicated than i thought it would be okay did you um decide to go with amazon like just send them a box of them and then <laughs> hey here you go you pay this um you could i didn't in this case and and it wasn't set up the way i wanted so i have a distributor uh, called Pathway Books in in the U.S., but we uh, but they then shipped to Amazon. So my book is on Amazon, but at the same time, I could also got to get it into individual bookstores. I can get into into indie bookstores, libraries, and that's the thing. I I love books as well. So being to support the indie author or indie booksellers and getting into that and not rely 100% on Amazon was something that was really important to me. Nice. Um, because I do, again, like I said, I, I buy a lot of books, but I try to go to the thrift store to get them because a lot of people toss away their financial books and I know that they only going to get to the first two chapters and then everything <laughs> else is nice. I was like, this is a pristine book. 
you just toss away. Awesome information. Um, So because now that you have this book, you have the um, you have the passion behind everything. Now, let's try to get a little bit into David's story. So, you know, you talked about your parents a little bit and was talking, having those money conversations at the dinner table. Were there something like that happening? Not a lot. It was interesting. I, I disagreed with my parents quite a bit about finances. Mm. They were very tradition, traditional of the mindset, especially my dad. You work hard, you play hard. And the harder you work, the more you have. And then you spend it all. Mm. <clears throat> and money really was something you used for entertainment. It wasn't a tool. But again, like I said, I remember reading these books when I was young and learning about compound interest or just interest in general and realizing that if I could put my money just in a bank and earn interest and have more later without doing anything, like that seemed that seemed like a, an, an amazing thing that I could use this as a tool rather than spending it on something I could use it as a tool to create more wealth. And so I always saw things slightly different. And because of that as well, for me, leverage to invest made sense. For my parents, you pay for everything outright. You don't you don't borrow and you don't leverage and you make your money and you spend your money. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, these conversations weren't at the dinner table, which is also why I want to pass it down because it's just a different way to look at things. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, if they're not taught these lessons, I mean, really using money as a tool is so important in terms of accumulating wealth. Like when we think of all these richest people in the world, there is absolutely no way any of that money could be accumulated purely by like an income or a salary and tucking that money under a mattress. It just couldn't. And not even, not even close. So I don't think people fully realize how powerful compound interest really is and in growing wealth. Um, and just real quick to, to think of someone, someone like a Warren Buffett. His investments that he made early on began that journey he hasn't been making these incredible investments since then. But because that money's working for him, over 99% of his wealth has been accumulated after the age of 50. Yeah. And it's doubling almost every five to seven years. And not because of the, the power of his investments, but just because it's working in the stock market. So if you just think of that, someone as intelligent and someone we think of as one of our best investors ever, and in the next five or seven years, his wealth will double again, and he'll have more than he accumulated those entire previous years of all his investment work. I mean, that's that's compound growth right there. Right. Um, I know I like to keep the conversations evergreen, but we also in a midst of a crisis. <laughs> uh, how how are you feeling about this uh, the stock market right now? For me, I mean, my gut, I've been thinking it was supposed to turn downwards for a long time. Prior to COVID, I think we were well overdue for a correction. Mm -hmm. And so I think, personally, I think we're definitely due for a correction, especially because interest rates really control everything. So any conversation around money, interest rates are what drive it. People don't realize that, but it really is the driving factor. And interest rates are climbing up, which is going to have a negative impact on the stock market. But on that, like that's my personal opinion. What I found is it's just, I'm just as likely to be wrong. I mean, it's a 50-50 chance here. And when you start thinking of 
of direction, directions and trends, it's the time frame that's more important. So in the next week, next month, next year, are we going in a downturn? Possibly. I personally think so. I'm not sure. But if you started saying, where are we going to look at in the next 10, 20, 30 years? For sure, the stock market will be up. So all of a sudden, that whole risk, so when people are thinking, like, should I be out of the stock market? Should I not? What should I do? If you're in for the long game and you're averaging in, then it doesn't really matter which direction we're going in. And me being on the sidelines, because I think it's going down, is just as likely to hurt me because it goes up as being the right move. And even if it goes down, I'm on the sidelines. Me catching the bottom or waiting too long and missing again, just as likely to, to be on the wrong side. So timing the market, extremely difficult. I try to do it because, like I said, I'm, I'm a money nerd. I, yeah. I love this stuff. <laughs> and I, I try and I do it, but I'm almost always on the wrong side. And that's why I try to teach these things to the kids. Like, don't time the market. Don't, don't follow my, my mistakes and feel like you can beat the market because it's almost impossible. Yeah, I was looking at... Um at your book because you do have a couple pages here on your page and i was just thinking about that it was like huh it's this is the one with the blacksmith and you know just see the farmer going through hard times but somebody else is like hey well i invest in your what you're doing so that you can actually reap harvest a little faster <laughs> just for out of the goodness out of their heart but then now they actually able to reap some of those some of the rewards from the harvest by helping out the farmer. And I actually thought that was actually pretty cool that you threw that in there. And it's only on two pages and you get yeah. so much value out of that. I mean, so that, yeah. that whole chapter <clears throat> is all about around the golden rule of give and you'll have more. Mm. And I want to illustrate for kids how, how this, how that can even be. And because as soon as you give, there's a, there's a feeling that you have less because you've just given them something you had. And I want to illustrate how that's not always the case. And actually, there's a, almost like a universal rule that the more you give, the more that comes back to you. And that's what's happening there. And so this was a leap of faith that the blacksmith made and quickly realized not only how much better she felt and how that had an impact on her, but how in helping this farmer it also, it did come back and it wasn't, it wasn't a loan. It was a purely a gift. It wasn't meant for financial reasons, but just like anything, I mean, just like us meeting in, in Orlando, I mean, these connections, they have value and it just comes from, you know, giving from the heart, connecting with people, being open to, to doing whatever you can. And, and it does come back. Yeah. Cause I was surprised that you wanted to come on the show. I was like, uh, I don't have kids. What would you mind talking about kids? <laughs> if you guys were there, it was hilarious. Uh, I felt so nervous because I, um, I don't know. It's just something about meeting people face to face. I asked them like, Hey, would you mind coming on the show uh, to kind of talk about, you know, what you're passionate about. Um, and most people look at, like he said, where the titles come in when they see about that wallet, they think, okay, well, it's just a money show, but I'm like, well, you got to read the subtext which is that I'm helping people build financial habits. And your book is already helping people each, it's almost like each chapter or each page, it seems like, has a nice, lovely lesson um, or a habit that they can actually understand and then start making changes on how they operate on their own habits. 
So what are the habits that actually got you to where you are today? Um, so, yeah, so that, I mean, the, the first habit is obviously just starting that, that step towards investing. So in the book, it's the second habit in the book, but it's about, you know, always saving first and starting that process because budgeting is almost impossible for most of us. So by saving first, it forces that savings and it creates lifestyle inflation it puts a cap on that and you live within your means. And so you don't even notice the money, but the savings happening. That's the first step. And then the second, the, or in this case, the third golden rule is then send, send those savings to work. And that's the investing piece. And that's where the compound growth happens. Those two pieces in terms of just investing are really so important and really everything. So when you talked about like, is the stock market going up or down and we're doing market timing, Market timing and stock picking is not as important as the habit of saving and investing. And especially if you take out the market timing and the stock picking by averaging out those investments and not stock picking, but investing in the entire stock market over a long period of time, like I said, over the next year, I don't know, but a long period of time, 10, 20, 30 years or further, you're almost guaranteed to have that risk go down to zero and average, you know, seven, 10% in the stock market and see those savings, you know, double every seven years, which is incredible. I mean, if, if everyone who started in their twenties did exactly this, yeah. we'd be living in a different world. Yeah. Um, I go back and forth on that one because I said in our financial space and, you know, as a financial uh, advisor that we all were dealt different hands um, <laughs> coming up. So it's like, I mean, I usually say after age 30, you have no choice at this point. And I think also in the information age that we're in, it's a little easier to kind of say that um, than it was back then. I mean, just from my observations. Yeah. Well, I mean, we didn't, I mean, just the technology itself, ETFs didn't exist a while back. So you couldn't invest. It wasn't as easy to invest in this entire stock market. You have to find a mutual fund advisor or create your own portfolio, which is tricky and all those mechanics. And now you're in the weeds. Now you're a money nerd. Right. So, so that's a little different. Now the savings bit, I do occasionally get some push pushback on that, mm -hmm. but it's one of those things where I think the whole idea is it's, it's relative, yeah. right? So the, the amounts, the percentages I feel hold and it's relative now obviously there's there's a point in time where you just you're you there is nowhere to cut and you're scraping by and you're struggling and in those instances it's just going to be a lot trickier and to break out of that's almost impossible but if there was any way that you could break out of it this is how so when it comes to kids when they are actually looking into buying things for themselves inside a grocery store and though they might not have the book yet what are the top three or top five steps that you'll give a parent uh, to their child um, as they becoming a toddler and now recognizing hey toys on the tv i want one um, to where they are now i really only have two things that are really important to me okay. to teach the kids and and the rest a lot of it is just just noise so the first 100 percent start talking to your kids about money 
-hmm. And we just don't do this. We don't do this as adults. We definitely don't do this as parents with our kids. And when I say talk about things about money with kids, it's not, I can't afford this or here's how to invest. It's, this is how much this costs. And not with any judgment, not as any anything behind it, just this is how much this costs. So when they're looking at a chocolate bar, this is how much it costs here. When you go to McDonald's, this is how much the burger costs, how much our meal costs. When you fill up your car with gas, this is how much gas costs. And that's the only way kids actually start learning the value of money. Like we want them to learn the value of money, and yet they have no idea what things cost or what we earn or what our house costs or car costs, anything. So just start having those conversations. And even the really young kids, I used to do this in terms of not money, but in terms of things they'd want. Like this costs five Lego sets. This costs three chocolate bars and they could get it. So when they're looking at a teddy bear, even at that young age where they don't know what a hundred dollars might mean or $10 might mean, they're like, oh, this teddy bear is the same as five chocolate bars. They can get that concept. That's the first thing. And then the next, and this is where I talked about when you said we shouldn't teach our kids to save. It's because we should teach them the most important lesson first, which is why you want more in the first place. And that's the whole lesson around the awesome stuff. So what is your awesome stuff? And kids can have this conversation. What is your awesome stuff? And they'll say everything because they're kids. They're, they want <laughs> everything. They want everything. So then you just sit with them and say, well, no, like think of your room, think of your things. What's your one favorite thing? You know, if, if they love stuffies, they love stuffies. And, you know, they're little bears or animals. I guarantee you there's one they love the most. Mm-hmm. And same with everything. Or if they, they might love ice cream, but they love, you know, going for a walk on the beach even more. So you start asking these questions. So what do you love the most? What's your favorite thing? What's the thing that you've never got bored of and just it's gotten forgotten in the closet at the bottom of the closet? What, what are those things that light you up? And young kids can have that conversation and they get it. So now when you're in the grocery store, the question isn't, can you afford it? Do you want it? Should you save instead? All the guilt we might put on them or it's stupid. The question is just, is that your awesome stuff? And that same child will pause, look at it and reflect. And whatever they answer doesn't matter. It's the fact that they pause or reflect and are actually contemplating, is this my awesome stuff? That's the lesson. And that's, that's really how we change the way we think about money. Awesome. It's almost like an indirect way to ask this question, but I want to ask it, um, which is what separates successful people from those who just never got started? Well, I mean, you just answered it. They right. never got okay. started. I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you never, right. if you never start, you never start. But what I will say is I have met a lot of people with a lot of wealth that are still just chasing, just they're almost there, just one more year, just a little bit more, and then they're good. And it doesn't matter what level they reach, they still feel that way. I'm almost there, but just a little bit more and I'll be good. And we even see that sometimes with some of our like our, our millionaires and billionaires, our celebrities, like some of them are still chasing and they're not quite settled and they just need a little bit more. And it's really hard to enjoy just what's happening around you when you're focused on the future of just a little bit more. And that's why I find these lessons so important because even what you said, like people who are successful, like how do we judge success? And a lot of times we judge it by a specific dollar value, which is really only one small way to, to judge success. And for me personally, I'm a lot less concerned with how much you have 
versus how much you, how happy you are. And there isn't a direct correlation. There is some correlation, but not a direct correlation. So someone doing what they love, and even more importantly, actually contributing as well. So doing what they love, but also being of service, it is rare to see someone that is happy in service, doing what they love, that someone with more financially, but not those things would be considered more successful in my books. Nice. I like that. It's a good way of doing it. <laughs> Let's keep it simple. Since we're talking about the future here, we'll move on to the third segment, which is the features. Um, what is new and exciting for you coming forward? Oh. Um, I mean, this is, this is currently what I'm excited about because I just want to get this message out. I want the idea of, is this your awesome stuff to be part of a vernacular that just kids just naturally say and question and ask. And even parents, you'll see them in the grocery store when they're, you know, pleading for that ice cream. Yeah. Is that your awesome stuff? I want that to just be common. So that's what I'm sort of excited about right now is pushing that idea. But as I, as I mentioned earlier, this idea of how much lands with kids when they're young versus when we become adults, I start seeing more opportunities to start, you know, teaching mindfulness at that age and other things um, that I find very important. So there's, there's some things that are, that I'm really excited about beyond this. I want to get this sort of grounded first and, uh, and create the movement behind it. But, but yeah, I'd love to start seeing just even the way we, we think of um, just masculinity, femininity, and how we're raising our young kids, especially our young boys, just seeing more conversation around that. Again, just conversation, which we're not having and the young kids aren't having. And then we grow up as adults and, and wonder why we have such a divide between the genders and so many problems. So that would be for the future that something I get pretty excited about. Nice. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. I just say, as long as we keep having these open conversations and dialogue about it, I think we'll eventually get to see your awesome stuff. Your awesome stuff. Um, I'm about to say awesome sauce because we. <laughs> that's a, that's a, I'm with that. That's good too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, how can our listeners actually try to help you out a little bit more? Uh, what can our listeners do? I mean, what have the conversation with your kids. Mm -hmm. Just start talking to kids about money is so important because that'll just that just changes the whole dialogue it takes away the taboo and people can just start having conversations and it's not a big deal once once we have those conversations it becomes something that we don't feel anxious around to the same degree as far as my stuff everything is around the awesome stuff so if you go to theawesomestuff.com that's my website you can buy the book there i've got my tiktok and my instagrams at the awesome stuff you could go to Amazon and find it as well, or leave a book review on Amazon. So really any way you can share this concept and this information. And for me, it really is around that idea of sort of creating a movement where we think of what is your awesome stuff, because I feel that's the, the most important lesson about money. And that's the one lesson that we're rarely, rarely teaching. So true. So true. All right. So you ready for the final four questions? Let's do it. All righty. So what does wealth mean to you? Wealth to me, it really means it's individual 
of figuring out what is, what's your passion, what lights you up, and then just pursuing that. And when we talked about a journey, it's just a journey. There is no end goal. It's, it's constantly doing what lights you up and on that path of, of what your awesome stuff is. Nice. Number two, what was your worst money mistake? Worst money mistake. That's funny. This came up actually in FinCon and it was one of my first investments Mm -hmm. because again, like we talked about, I always disagree with finance with my, my dad. I wanted to invest because I was young and invest for the long term. He just wanted to just get my money working for me and just me out of his hair. So we went to the bank and I bought like a five, maybe three, three year, four year savings bond as like an 11 year old kid with like zero interest. I don't, I couldn't do anything with the money for a couple of years. There was no, like there was no point in that investment at that age for a long-term investment. It was just the worst investment, worst investment. <laughs> so that was my worst. Nice. Uh, what is your, this is number three. What is your favorite financial or non-financial book? Well, so my favorite financial, I've got to go with the wealthy barber which is a Canadian author. So it's really popular in Canada, not so much in the US. But this was like one of the first books I read when I was like 11. So it would have been out in like the 80s. And it's a story, a parable that sort of talks about finance, but in a way that's easily digestible because it's a story. And it became, you know, a bestseller, self-published author. It is it is a good book for anyone who's interested in in wealth. Now, he has done the Wealthy Barber Returns and he updated it. Go to the original, the Wealthy Barber original, if you're seeking this out. And, and that's the classic. Uh, I read a lot of books. So non-financial is a little trickier. Um, so there would be a, a million different types of books. <clears throat> One that I'm gifting a lot the most right now is, uh, I believe it's The Boy, the Fox, and the Horse by uh, Charlie... Mongol, make 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 it see or make see, but it's uh it's this beautiful book where it's actually written for adults, but it's these beautiful illustrations and just simple little quotes, and just the power in the simplicity uh, just blows me away. So it's it's not it's not a long read. It's more just almost like mini memes, but they're not memes, and it'd be you know just this story of this boy and this fox and this horse and this mole and these characters. And and it almost has like a Winnie the Pooh feel in terms of like the, the simplicity, but then the, the weight and power in those simple words. I just, I just love that. Yeah. It looks like a nice little short, uh, simple book and illustrations are nicely, uh, repeatable, short, sweet. Yeah, it's a neat it's a neat book. So I've I've been gifting that one quite a bit lately. But I mean, I read all sorts. I just finished reading the over overstory mm-hmm. about trees. It's a big book, but incredible. I think uh, Hugh Jackman. He, it's one of his favorite b- books, and it talks about just how interwoven trees are into our ecosystem and how they communicate. And there's people that are the the backstory, but the trees are like the anchor. It's it's a beautiful book. I mean. I could go on and on about books. <laughs> nice. Is this one? Of, I know this like this is not part of the final four questions, but is this book similar to the research that was done about how trees communicate, or is this is 
Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know if it was one of the earlier instances of it. I just read it recently, but I know like I've listened to like Radio Lab has a really good episode on trees. I think it's, I can't remember what the episode's name, but but basically trees communicating. And yeah, once you start learning that stuff and how they communicate through the root system mm-hmm. and between species of trees, it's just incredible. It blows your mind what's going on in the world that we don't realize. And I was thinking about that as well, because uh, there was a documentary about mushrooms and how the mushroom ecosystem is actually doing a similar thing. So I'm thinking about, all right, so every time I pull up these weeds, they scream at everybody else. <laughs> like <he did. laughs> There's a lot going on in it. I think that episode was from Tree to Tr- Shining Tree on Radio Lab is a really good episode on it. And yeah, exactly. There's the trees are actually sending nutrients into the ground to these other like all these other things that are sending them back up. Like if, if that ecosystem didn't exist, our trees wouldn't be what they are. They wouldn't grow. And even when they're dying, they send all their nutrients into the ground to be first to other trees around them. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. We'll get to that type of network one day. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The last question of the final four questions is what is your favorite dish to make? favorite dish um i i like a um i do this uh french toast Mm. with like a marmalade and fresh orange and like make the marmalade and dip it in the orange and for good morning sunday brunch it's solid sounds really good you might have to send me a picture so i can show everybody That sounds. Good. I'll look it up. I think it's a Nigella Lawson uh, recipe. Yeah, I might have to look that up because uh, I might have to figure out how to make this happen. <laughs> I'll send it your way. It's a. It's again. It's a really easy dish, okay. but but delicious. Awesome. Yeah. So the very last question of the show, which is, where could people find out more about you? Everything's at theawesomestuff.com. So that would be the best place to find me. And if you contact through the forums there, it all comes directly to me or if you have questions or if you want to follow on TikTok and, or Instagram, same thing at the awesome stuff. Nice. You dancing on TikTok? Not dancing. I'm new to TikTok. It took me a long time to get onto TikTok, but I'm there now. And yeah, just doing short form talking, <laughs> no dancing. <laughs> awesome. All right, everybody, if you were able to get anything out of this particular episode today, please make sure that you like, subscribe uh, for more content like this. Make sure you definitely check out David's episode uh, on awesomestuff.com because he has wonderful information there and might be surprised there might be another book in the works, you know, talking about the adult side of the house. Who knows? Um, But make sure that you guys are subscribing to his channel on YouTube. Subscribe to my channel. Make sure you guys are continuously supporting us because, you know, finances is a big thing, but also the habits are more important. So let's go on and spread the word of awesome habits to everyone. All right, everybody. Y'all be safe. Bye.